Welcome to another edition of Disclosure, the brand new radio broadcast from the good people at The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra. I will be your host from right here in beautiful downtown Loveland, Colorado, where the people are great, the air is a little thin because of the altitude, and actually the very location where The Voice of Prophecy was born. Not the broadcast, but the founder, HMS Richards, who first went on the air after he moved to California, went on the air in 1929. And today on Disclosure, I've got a special guest. His name is Alex Rodriguez. He is joining me in studio. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Hey, you're no stranger to the Voice of Prophecy because you actually work right here in our evangelism and Bible school department. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, we couldn't afford to get anybody from the outside. We couldn't go and get a real expert, so we just went upstairs and grabbed you. So you got the uh, you got the baseball player, Alex Rodriguez. I got the baseball player, Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> Retired now, now, and I work for the VOP. Work for the Voice of Prophecy. This is our very own Alex Rodriguez, not the baseball player. And, uh, Alex, you and I met in the city of Indianapolis a few years ago. And the reason that we're sitting together in studio today is because of a discussion you and I actually had in an airport just... Oh, weeks ago, we were traveling together, and uh, I was reading the paper, and I saw this headline that talked about a, a privacy issue, and I turned to you because in your former life, before you were a preacher, you were actually a, a cop, weren't you? That's right. So I wanted to talk to a police officer slash minister who, uh, who knew something about privacy because personally, Alex, I've got to tell you, I'm a little irritated or maybe concerned is the better word about some of the things that are happening in America today. I'm watching freedom get eroded, and I know we're going to end up in a Bible study eventually on this, but I wanted to talk to you. You're a preacher, you're a former police officer, and um, and that story from Vermont was about cell phones, wasn't it? That's right. It was it was about cell phones, and it was, uh, it was specifically about seeking the ability to look into a cell phone without a warrant. Yeah, that bugged me to no end. I'm such a stickler for privacy. I, I think the bill that was being proposed in Vermont, and I don't know if it's passed yet or not or what became of it, but the, the proposal was to let a police officer at a roadside stop look through your phone without a warrant to see, frankly, if you'd been texting and driving. And I'm not in favor of texting and driving, but i got to tell you, Alex, I'm not in favor of letting the cop, let's say it's me that's been pulled over and you've pulled me over, I am not in favor of letting you look through my cell phone. And, of course, coming from, from the law enforcement side and, and being out on that road, I look at this law and I think to myself, oh, what a great opportunity. This is this is perfect. I'd love to have the ability to do that. Yeah, why would a cop want to do that? I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't want you to see pictures of my kids and my wife, and, and I don't want you to see my dinner reservation on my calendar. None of your business. So why, is it, why are you so excited as a cop? And, and I really don't care about your, your you know, I love your... your your wife and kids and pictures of that, but I, I don't really care to see those. It, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to do anything with those. What I'm looking for is is another another level, another ability that I can to make a, a case that will help society, that will that will prevent the loss of life. And when we're talking about texting and driving, of course, we're we're talking about preventing the loss of life. Um, in fact, uh, here on this uh, this article that I pulled. And I think this was from from Burlington, the Burlington Free Press. Uh, they quoted that 24 percent of the Vermont crashes last year were from using the telephone. They had 50 fatalities in Vermont alone. You see, now that is unacceptable to me. I mean, I I, I got irritated in traffic yesterday because uh, the car in front of me was moving at an 
absolutely irritating slow rate of speed, like eight miles an hour. And as I finally pulled around them, the driver, she was on her phone texting somebody. That's right. And we see it all the time. And in fact, uh, it's one of the reasons that uh, that I got rid of my motorcycle here a couple of years ago. I just couldn't get over the fact that, you know, it was dangerous enough to, to, to ride a bike, but couldn't get over the fact that these drivers are, are, are no longer paying any attention whatsoever. And uh, one texting person, of course, is going gonna, is gonna to throw your bike uh, over the road, and, and that's the end of your life. Uh, you know, I and I'm torn here. I, I've got to I've got to admit uh, here on on radio that um, I'm guilty of texting and driving. Oh no, say I, it isn't so, Alex. That wasn't I, you in front. No, it was a lady. That, it wasn't that was a, you. That was a lady. Yeah. You know, I I have and you're have, no lady. I have tried to curb that. And in fact, uh, I'm doing stuff like like sticking my phone in my bag and zipping it up and then putting it in the back seat. So if I needed to get the thing, man, you're like would, an alcoholic that has to hide the bottle I, in the neighbor's I'm, house. I'm telling. And <laughs> and what's interesting is is there's a lot of conversations around uh, around the 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 globe right now here in the U.S. especially about whether or not this needs to be the case for phones. Do we need to put them away in glove boxes? Do we need to, to treat them as an open alcohol bottle? And, and I can see those discussions. I can understand that. There's a frustration, I think, that's coming across uh, legislation or, or the legislators that the numbers of deaths and accidents are increasing and there's nothing that we can do while we, we tout the, the beauty of the, of the freedom or well, we kind of look at it as, a fr- as freedom of technology and what it has allowed us to do. It's the same technology that's causing us lives. So you pulled the article from... Um I, I stepped on you. You were going to refer to the article that uh, that you had pulled regarding this. I'm still kind of like I, I want to cut down on the accidents. It drives me nuts that somebody is so irresponsible that they'll text and drive and frankly put my life and my family's life in jeopardy to get a text message. But at the same time, a warrantless search. I'm not. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan at all. And and I think here here are a couple of uh, of items read off the article that uh, you would probably be concerned about, and and me too. I mean, I, I don't want to say just just you. I am concerned about this. Uh, it is it is a freedom issue. We are talking about the Constitution and and things that we need to uh, we need to in 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 good faith protect as much as possible. But here's a statement. They're asking Vermonters to give up some of their privacy in exchange for safer roads. Right. And that takes me back to a quote, those who would exchange liberty for safety deserve neither. It's attributed to Ben Franklin. That's apocryphal. But the quote kind of stands for me. Am I willing to trade my privacy and my liberty for safety? And my answer is no. I want to take care. I'll handle my safety. You stay out of that. Um, But no, I, I don't think that's worth the price. But keep going. But at the same time, it's it's not asking for all of your privacy. It's, it's just asking for a, a little bit of your privacy. Yeah, this week. And then next week, a little more of my privacy. And we've lost so much of that in America anyway the, that we're starting to say that the reasonable expectation of privacy is dropped. You don't really have one anymore. But keep going with your article. And we'll talk a little bit more we can, uh, as the, as the uh, program continues. We'll talk a little bit more about the slippery slope and, and, and how this this loss of privacy is is just going downhill, and I'm not. I'm really not totally sure we're going to be able to reverse this thing. No, uh, but but it is true. We are losing some liberties, but at the same time, um, there have been things that we have already allowed to happen uh, that has lost. Uh, well, well, even even to an extent of 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 having a. Oh, you know, if you think about law enforcement, if you think about military, uh, no longer do we defend ourselves, 
but there are legal uh, legal laws in place that give that right to the law enforcement officer. Okay. And, uh, and, and so in a way, we've already said, okay, we're going to give away some of these personal liberties to this individual in the government. They'll take care of it, and I'll sit here and allow them to do so. Now, that doesn't take away the fact that I can protect myself, but what that does do is that it places the impetus on them, and if I do take action, there's high liability for me taking action in, in a sort of a law enforcement capacity. So in some ways and in some areas, we've already sort of given that, uh, that away. Uh, but there's, you know, there's very, very difficult uh, statements in this particular ar- article. One talks about implied consent. Um, how much will we allow implied consent to to dictate what it is that we can and can't do on the road. In fact, uh, the statement that was made here is this dramatic expansion of implied consent comes with serious problems. Uh, so what is implied consent? Well, implied consent uh, going to, to vehicles, because this is what this, uh, this article, other article was all about, or, or this particular article is about. Um, implied consent means that when you get your driver's license, mm-hmm. you make some agreements. Right off the bat. There's a contract with the rest of society. There's a contract with the society and the government. They're saying, this is a privilege to drive on the roads. I'm going to give you this driver's license as long as you sign on the bottom line. Here are the, here are the deal. Right. And I'll have to admit, nowhere constitutionally, and, and apologies to those of you listening outside of America, but we're dealing with an American issue, and I hope you still find that fascinating because it will trickle into every other Western civilization. But we don't have a right to drive. We've got a right to life, liberty, property, but not to drive. That's right. That's right. And probably it's a good thing to say here, too, that I'm not a lawyer. Right. And so I let, no, let you're just, here because you're a cop. That's right. I've been pulled over by your kind. And you've been, yeah, you've been <laughs> pulled over by my kind, my kind, <laughs> kind. Um, so you've got this implied consent. When we get this implied consent um, uh, signed or, or this, uh, this driver's license uh, contract signed, then we have implied that we're willing to, to follow the, the rules. Well, there's a couple of rules in here, and one of those me- says that, um, that law enforcement can stop you when you, when you violate uh, the road laws, but then they can require you to do certain things as, you, uh, as they're investigating whether or not you're in violation of certain laws. And what this individual is saying is that this would expand those implied consent um, uh, legislate, le- legislative laws or rules that are already there. And we'll get, we'll get to that here in just a, a few minutes as we go through what, um, what searches are all about and sure. how you search a car. Now, I, I know that some people are probably wondering, this is the voice of prophecy, isn't it? This isn't the legal help desk or, or you know, dial-a-cop. I know that eventually we're going to end up uh, looking at why privacy is a big issue. It, it happens to be a prophetic issue, a voice of prophecy issue, and we'll get there eventually. Um, but I wanted a police officer and a minister on the other side of the desk today to talk about, you know, where are those lines with privacy, and I want to see it from that side of the, the window, the driver's window, the guy who's standing outside. Absolutely, and, and I think that that as we as we as we continue on, it's going to get fairly interesting, especially as we look at scripture and the differences between uh, our law and and that of of the Bible. All right. Well, we're going to take a break in a few minutes, but why don't you start talking to me about searching vehicles from a cop's perspective? Okay. So, looking at a car, there's there's different tiers of evidence that uh, that we need to we need to look at. We need to talk about. Um, as far as what you can and can't do 
with these different tiers. Uh, but before that, let me let me just okay. read the Fourth Amendment here. Yeah, okay. That's probably a good foundational point. Fourth Amendment says this, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. That's pretty clear cut. I'm secure in my person and my effects. You need a warrant if you're coming through my door. That's right. That, that's ultimately what it says. But I want to bring your attention to one particular word here, um, and that's unreasonable. Right. So written into the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution is already a way out. It, there's already a, 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 there's an a, a circumvented method uh, right there, and it's in that word unreasonable, against unreasonable searches. And this will be the argument uh, from the time that the Fourth Amendment was put in place all the way until Jesus comes. What makes an unreasonable search? What makes a reasonable search? So this is where the debate begins to happen. It's around one word, unreasonable. Alex, we are up against the break. I'm sitting down with Alex Rodriguez, not the famous baseball player, but our very own Voice of Prophecy, evangelism coordinator, and uh, he's a minister and a former drug enforcement officer and has done lots of roadside searches, which is why I hauled him in here when I read about this move towards warrantless searches of the cell phones. You are listening to the Voice of Prophecy. And we will be back in just a moment. I want you to grab a pen and paper because what you're about to hear could literally change your life. You want to write down this information and take advantage of this free offer from The Voice of Prophecy, one of the oldest running Christian broadcasts in America and in the world and the sponsor of one of the biggest Bible schools in the entire world. That's what I want you to listen to. We are going to be back in a few moments. Voice of Prophecy's Disclosure with Alex Rodriguez. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. We are back from the break. You are listening to Disclosure, the newest radio offering from the people at The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra. I'm your host, and I'm sitting down with Alex Rodriguez, who is a director at our World Bible School. But the reason he's here is not because he works at the Bible School and Evangelism Department of The Voice of Prophecy. The reason that I've asked him here is because he was a cop. He used to be the guy who pulled you over at the side of the road. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about searching cars, and we were talking talking about a proposed bill in Vermont that talked about warrantless searches of cell phones. And so, Alex, 
Uh, let's go back in time to when you were a police officer. You've just pulled me over. I'll, I'll make myself the guinea pig. You've pulled me over at the side of the road, and you really want to get into my car and look around. What's it going to take? How many times has, has that happened? It, it, it has, just for the sake of argument. It has never, ever happened. <laughs> it has never, ever happened. Now, I haven't always been a Christian, so actually, I can't lie as a preacher. I can't lie. There were times in a former life I've been pulled over. That I'll, I'll just say that for minor moving violations. Minor. Yeah. Well, and that's excellent because that's really where we start with minor moving violation. It, it opens up the world to everything else we, we really want to try to get accomplished. Uh, that sounds terrible. We're not really trying to accomplish anything but take criminals off the road. But right. uh, but minor move, moving violations is the opening door. Well, before we talk a little bit about uh, how to get into the car, it, it's probably important to understand the evidentiary tiers, the levels of evidence that are needed in order to do anything in the in the legal system. The very first one is something that's called mere suspicion. Now, you don't like the way I look. I, that's right. It, <laughs> it, it, it's just simply a, a hunch. You have nothing. You've got absolutely nothing. You look at something, and something triggers a thought in your brain of this isn't right. It's, it's a flag. What can you do with mere suspicion? Right. Probably the easiest uh, way to, to define what you can do with, with mere suspicion is to just say zero. Right. You can do nothing with it that's of, of any tangible value as far as, as prosecution is concerned. Mere suspicion simply says that something looks weird, and I need to keep looking at it. I need to keep digging right. around. And it. obviously, the longer you've been on the road as an officer, the more you hone that instinct. That's right. And that's where knowledge, training, and experience, a term that you'll often here in in legal world knowledge training and experience uh, plays a part in fact it's interesting to note that many young officers and hopefully not throwing young officers off the cliff here but many young officers make the mistake of not taking action because they think that all they have is mere suspicion right they haven't learned how to articulate there's another big term for us they haven't learned how to articulate what they see and and make something out of it and so they don't realize that when they're thinking they have mere suspicion they actually have reasonable suspicion sometimes even probable cause and so they they let things let things go but at the beginning level at the foundational level at the bottom you have simple mere suspicion okay there's been times uh, i remember some times back on the road where where i had mere suspicion uh, within the context of, of reasonable suspicion. I remember stopping a car in the middle of the night. I was the only car uh, that was working in my city. My closest backup was the county, and it was probably a good 15, 20 minutes away before they could get to me. And uh, as I grabbed this driver's license from this individual, approached the car, gra- gra- grabbed this driver's license, there was this overwhelming feeling. I've, I've only felt this twice in my law enforcement career. Twelve years in law enforcement, I've only felt this twice overwhelming feeling that there was something absolutely wrong more than just the traffic stop and the longer i stayed out there the the more that uh, that you know stood out in my mind and and it was just simply mere suspicion i had absolutely nothing and it got to the point where and it wasn't one of these things of of there's there's something wrong with uh with you giving them a ticket or or anything anything of that nature it was there's absolutely something wrong if you stay here you're not going to make it out alive 
Okay. And that was the that was what's going through a my mind. A gut feeling. A gut feeling. Probably informed by a previous experience. But Probably informed, feeling. yeah. And and I could have pursued that like like a lion, which I typically did. I mean, I was relentless when I was out there. Oh, you were that cop. I was that cop, man. I was I was a terrible. Well, I wasn't terrible. I was just. No, uh, I can see it. I can see it. You were a terrible cop. <laughs> I, I, I remember, I remember writing like over a hundred tickets in my first year a, uh, a month. I, I would a uh, hundred tickets a month. Hundred hundred twenty tickets folks, a month. I brought you that cop. Yeah, that's that's. But but I calmed down from then. But at any rate, that was mere suspicion. There was there was not much I could do other than to continue looking, continue searching. Right. And so you know, I ended up just letting the guy go. I, I didn't have anything, and and I needed to listen to what I I later realized was the Holy Spirit speaking. But mere suspicion really gets you gets you nothing. Now you can make conversation with mere suspicion. So if I see you on the road and something is, is uh, there's a flag, I can start talking to you and say, hey, wh- what's going on? What have you been doing? Right. But you can also tell me, go jump. Right. At this point, I'm the guy who says, I do not consent to searches or will I, am I being detained, officer? Am I being detained, officer? Yeah. And at yeah. that point, I would have to say, no, sir, you're not being detained, but I just wanted to have a conversation, and you could say, go jump, and that's it. I'm done. Okay. All right, the next level in— We're not advising this, folks. I, I do recommend the Bible says live peaceably with all men if you can and obey <laughs> the government. That's right. Cooperate with the police. I'm not anti-police at all. Oh, I am. I am so pro-police. Um, you know, there's a saying in police departments and police officers, if you cut me, I bleed blue. And, <laughs> and that is that is so yeah. true for me. And I'm there too, Alex. I just want to—there is a prophetic reason. We are going to end up at a conclusion because— I I think this will tie into Bible prophecy as we're getting done. And I want everybody to understand what happens when searches start and suspicion starts. That's right. The next level, and we'll quickly go through this, the next level is reasonable suspicion. At this point, I have something that I can articulate. I can see that a a reasonable individual would think that a, a crime had been committed, was being committed, or was about to be committed. I can articulate these facts. They might not be probable cause to make an arrest, but there's enough articulable facts out there that I can say any reasonable person would say this is not right. And at that point, I can do a few more things. Here, I can actually make a stop. Here, this is this is no longer something that's consensual, like mere suspicion where I come and talk to you on the side of the road. Now I can actually stop you, stop you and if you say, go jump, it's not going to matter because now I have legal standing Good. to detain you. Now, am I being detained? Your answer is yes, you Your, are. My answer is absolutely yes because if you challenge that and take me to court, I have reasonable, articulable okay. facts that, that I'm going to say this is why I stopped them. Okay. And so that's that's reasonable suspicion. Then we move on to, to probable cause. I hear this one a lot. Probable right. cause. Probable cause. And, and And what's interesting about probable cause is that there's really different levels of of probable cause. It's all probable cause. It's it's enough in order to get you to do what you need to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that you have free reign. So in a in a car stop, uh, if I see that you are violating the law, you were speeding, for example, that's probable cause. That's not reasonable suspicion. It's probable cause. I had a I had a radar on right. you. I clocked you. You're 35 miles an hour over, and sure enough, I have probable cause. At this point, I can stop you, I can detain you, and I can technically arrest you. Right. 
Uh, we, we don't have time to get into that, but a ticket, when I give you a citation, it's a citation in lieu of arrest so that I'm not taking you in. But technically, I, I, could, I could take you in. So you can do just a little bit more with that kind okay. of probable cause. So we've cause. gone from gut feeling to reasonable suspicion to probable, to probable cause. cause. And then when we get into the, the court, once, let's say, I may, I've made an arrest, and you're going to, to court, and now you could be a jury trial or it could just be before a judge, whatever it is, depending on how severe the, the crime is, then I have to meet the level of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay. And at this point, I have to show so much evidence that any reasonable person would say, there is no doubt in my mind that you did it. Right. And if you're at any level below proof beyond a reasonable doubt, then you're not convicted. Right. And this, of course, is what's happening with hung juries. Yes. You know, as the jury's in there and they're deliberating, they're going back and forth, and one individual out of that jury says, I'm just not convinced. So we're really erring on the side of, of safety for the individual citizen. Absolutely. Everybody better be clear that you're guilty or else. Absolutely. You well, which really, if you think about it, sort of diverting now to the Bible for a second, this was the biblical principle upon which the law was founded Always in, in stacked Israel. in favor of the accused. Always stacked in favor of the accused. You, you, you had to do a whole lot, and you had to prove a whole lot in order for the, the accused to be convicted. Correct. Which was why it was so surprising that Jesus was convicted. Yeah, how, how could well, you be was, convicted? That, you know, that one was a rigged trial. It was so absolutely so corrupt. So we, and, and I've spent other programs talking about the fact that a lot of the foundations of of a constitutional republic in America came from biblical thought, and I think this is one of those. Probable cause moves to proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and then. So proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and, and then there's a couple of others. I'll, I'll hit these and just go off because this is typically in civil law. There's a preponderance of the evidence. There's clear and convincing evidence. Uh, these are usually in civil laws. They are less than proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Let's just deal with, uh, with the, the, the criminal system. Proof is our, our biggest one. Now, when you get into s searches themselves, you have three different types of searches. You have a consent search. Okay. You have a warrantless search. And then you have a warrant. So a consent search probably is, can I look in your, do you mind if I look in your trunk? Right. So and I say, officer, I do not consent to searches. You do not consent to searches. And this is what I would do if I stopped you. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would smell a rat right away. And then I'd say, uh, Mr. Sean, would you mind if, uh, if I look in your car? I do not. I'm sorry, officer. I do not consent to searches. And you have the absolute right to do that. Right. And I'm saying that for the sake of argument. And uh, normally I, I do advocate cooperate with the police. I'm thinking down the road prophetically, and we'll come to that in a later part of the program. That's right. That's right. So you have the absolute right to, 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 to say, no, I don't consent to searches. But I do, I do want to say that many individuals who, who talk about, I don't, uh, I, I don't have to consent to searches, and I'm going to stand against the police and all this thing, all these things. And I don't. I don't right. stand I, against not, the police. You're not, yeah. you're not one of those. But I, I've, I've often read in articles or, or you know, seen a YouTube video where these guys are just sort of making yeah. jerks out of themselves. What they forget is that the officer also has other rights right. that they can put into okay. place. And some of these rights are exigent rights. Some of these rights have to deal with uh, with ways that the legal system has interpreted the law and made a way around. And so you might be standing there and you might be saying, I don't consent to searches, and yet I'm sitting there standing. I've got exigent circumstances. I'm going to be able to get accomplish what, uh, what I need to get accomplished. Uh, so you have consent searches. You have warrantless search. 
Right. A warrantless search. Which is what we're talking about which, with the cell which phone Which is issue. exactly what we're talking about. A warrantless search basically says that I, I'm not going to go get a warrant, and I'm not going to ask you for consent. I'm just going to simply do what needs to get done. Okay. I'm, I'm going to search. And then, of course, you have the standard, which is the way that the Fourth Amendment would have us do things, and that is to, go to the judge. obtain a warrant. Go to the judge, um, get that warrant. Yes, to ob- obtain a warrant at, at all times except when they're... Um, there's exceptions. Now, I know everybody's wondering why we're talking about this on The Voice of Prophecy, and we are running out of time, Alex, in the first half of the show. And unfortunately, in some markets, we're about to go off the air. And if you're in one of those unfortunate markets where you only broadcast the first half hour of the program, don't worry. You can get the whole thing at voiceofprophecy.com. Look for the interview with Alex Rodriguez. And we are in the next half of the program, when we come back from the break, Alex, going to go a little bit deeper, talk about some case studies. But I eventually want to end up in Bible prophecy where, you know, I know a lot of people will say, but Sean, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to worry about. And the truth is, no, I've got nothing to hide. I haven't broken any criminal laws. But Bible prophecy shows me there may be a day coming where my very faith is a crime. And in that case, I want to know where those lines are. And I'll always cooperate with government serving God first, but I'll always cooperate with government if we're going off the market until next time. But if you're joining us, we'll be back right after these words on The Voice of Prophecy. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if your life has lost its meaning, just moving from one task to another without any answers to the really important questions in life? Like, is it possible to have a fresh start and to find real happiness? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for to this and to all of life's big questions. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888 456 7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Welcome back to Disclosure, the new broadcast from The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra. I am your host, and this is actually the second part of our program. If you missed the first part, you can find the whole thing at voiceofprophecy.com. We are sitting down today with uh, former officer Alex Rodriguez, who now works at The Voice of Prophecy. He's a pastor, a minister of the gospel, but we're talking about privacy issues. We're talking about a proposed bill that was in Vermont recently that would have allowed officers to search your cell phone without a warrant. And we were talking before the break about uh, what it takes for an officer to pull you over and search your car and so on. And I know that it sounds like a legal course, Alex, that we're discussing, but there is a, a method to our madness. We are headed for the Bible and for Bible prophecy eventually. But just before the break, we were talking about your rights with a cell phone. And I think this is especially pertinent. One of the biggest debates in America recently was over the cell phones used by the terrorists in um, in San Bernardino and Apple's refusal to help the FBI, at least initially, crack that phone and get at the information. Now, we weren't talking about terrorist cell phones. We were talking about the cell phones of everyday private citizens, the people listening to the show uh, today. And uh, I want you to just carry on where you were. We we were talking about search and seizure um, of cell phones, maybe not the seizure of it. And we were talking about the Fourth Amendment. So, 
talk to me about the Fourth Amendment. Does it matter? So the Fourth Amendment matters greatly. I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's part of the Constitution. The problem, of course, is what do we do with, with these amendments that tend to be short? At some point, we have to look at that and say, okay, how does it apply to, to everything else that we do? And, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, in the first uh, 15 minutes or so, there is a, there's a statement or there's a word in here called unreasonable Right, reasonable searches that allows you a, an avenue to to sort of uh, right. interpret. Right, that's, that's the back door. That's where the debate happens on the word unreasonable. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about the car stop that we were talking about earlier, and 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 getting to to your phone specifically. So I, I okay. stop your car. Uh, I I ask you for consent search. You say no. You know I can I can try to do a warrantless search. I, I can try to get a warrant. All these things are are applicable. And the question that I think we need to discuss is how in the world, going down to 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 the fine detail of this, how in the world could it be possible to search your phone? How could that be legal? Right. Based on the fourth uh, Fourth Amendment. And and this is what I like to call gradual permissiveness. This is this is sort of the slippery slope. We've right. been we've been sliding down this this slope for for some time. And there's some things that that set this up. So when we looked at the fourth command, uh, fourth uh, amendment, we decided okay, it's very difficult to apply this uh, by by letter of the law. And so there has to be some type of exception because if if you apply it, then nothing will ever get done. The legal system will never be able to prosecute anybody. Um, I'm going to extremes right, here now, but right. but it'd just be very very difficult. At some point, we have to make some exceptions for law enforcement to be able to do their job for the good of the community. So in other words, for your good, for your safety, Sean, there has to be some exceptions for law enforcement to be able well, to work. absolutely. I want you to search a cell phone if it's an ISIS cell group. I don't want you to search mine. So there's your exception. Right. <laughs> and it's easy when we look yeah. at, well, and it's not even easy then because then we've got, uh, we've got issues of privacy as well that sure. apply to, sure. to, to our life. But it's easier when you're, t when you're thinking about ISIS. But what about when you're thinking about DUIs, for example? What right. about when you were thinking about texting and driving? And this is what we're talking about now. Which is a form of impaired driving, frankly. I exactly. Yeah, even, even just driving tired is, is, right. is costing lives. So there's, a, there's a, a, a few steps of things that happened starting in 1925. In 1925, you had this case called Carl uh, versus United States. And in Carl versus United States, you basically had this undercover officer that had attempted to buy alcohol from an individual. This is in the, in oh, the prohibition era, years. Right. Yeah, tried to 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 buy alcohol, but it never was completed. The deal was never completed. Later on, months later, he sees the very same car. He sees the very same individual. He stops that car, does a a search of that car, and ends up finding about sixty nine quarts of whiskey. That's a whole lot of whiskey. That's a whole lot of whiskey, yeah. man. He's going to be drinking the rest of the year. So this guy ends up getting uh, obviously arrested, and, and he, he appeals, and he loses this appeal. He loses the appeal based on exigent circumstances. Okay. Now we're looking at this car, and the government is now defining that that this doesn't work the way that, uh, that maybe homes do or something else. Now the car can move. The car can go somewhere else. By the time that you can go get the warrant, 
then this individual can drive his car to another another right. place, hide the thing, and, and so all of a sudden you have these these exigent circumstances, and the law says, okay, we're going to make exception. All of a sudden, boom, you have an exception to the Fourth Amendment. Right. Now it's not as clear-cut as You're not it giving can be. somebody an opportunity to flush the evidence. That's, That's right. Really the and it's a slippery slope. Yes, it is. Because there we start. Where do we end? So w- we go down to, to maybe something like uh, Cardwell versus Lewis. And uh, here w- we establish that there's a lower expectation of privacy in a car. Right. So now, now not only do you have do you have exigent circumstances, now you have a lower expectation of privacy. Uh, so you know, if you were at home and you were inside your house, and uh, and I kicked the door down and went in there and find you found you doing something that that was a crime, you had a huge expectation of privacy in there. Yes, I did. Yeah, right. But now in the car, you're on the road. You can take off. You're you're where everybody can see you. Uh, you have a lower expectation of privacy, and and Cardwell versus Lewis establishes that. And then we go down to uh, United States versus Ross. In United States versus Ross, we have the exception that entered that the whole vehicle and containers can be searched. Oh wow! Yeah, this and, and this is this is a huge one, and and it's based upon uh, an informant that sees uh, a guy make a drug deal, and then he describes the guy, he descri- describes the car, he describes the package. It gets thrown into the trunk of a car, and later the police officer stops him, and uh, and does a search. And what uh, what the court system said was basically, if you have probable cause to search a certain part of the car, then you have probable cause to search the rest of the car. And so all of a sudden, everything now becomes becomes open. Now it doesn't matter if it's in the trunk and it's locked. It doesn't matter if it's in a container. Now all of this, as long as it makes sense. So if you're looking for uh, for a bazooka, and you have a little bag, right? You know it's not going to fit in that baz- in that bag. Yes. But as long as it makes sense, then the the court says you can search in in, in that. You can open it up. You're you're good to go. So, all, but, all but what bothers me about sliding it, down. It, I want this to be true for the police officers, Alex. I want it to be true. I want them to be able to do their job. What bothers me is that when I when we start eroding where privacy begins for the criminals, which I, I, I like that idea. I love that idea. But at the same time, we're all equal before the law, and that means that it's also eroded for me and my cell phone. Right. And and, and this is this is believe me, this is for your benefit. Sure, I know. I know. You sound like you sound I, I like math teachers that I had in high school. This is for your own good. This is for your own good. Yeah. This is going to hurt you more than, or me more than it's going to well, hurt you. Let's come back around to this idea that my cell phone can be searched without a warrant. Okay. Um, let's talk about that. So you you suspect I'm texting and driving, and you want to pull me over. What does that look like? All right. So so now I I've pulled you over, and, and why have I pulled you over? That's the big question. Well, more than likely I was behind you. Yeah, I'm driving behind you, and uh, let's say that you have a little bit of a darker window. I can't see what you're doing. Yeah, but I see that you're erratically driving. That first jerk to the left, and I and I think to myself, "Wow, man, I've been driving for years, and based on my knowledge, training, and experience, people don't typically jerk a car to the left like that. That's weird. That's mere suspicion, right there. Right. I've got mere. I've got nothing else. I can't really. No, stop I might for have this. been avoiding a squirrel. You could have been, yeah. You could have been avoiding a pothole like I was trying. Uh, well, I didn't see the other day. This car jerked to the right. I thought that was weird. And all of a sudden, I slammed into a pothole. So you could have been doing that. It's mere suspicion. I've got nothing. But I am continuing to follow you. Then I noticed that there's more regularity to your jerking left and right in the car. And, and it's just an awkward pattern of driving. Right. I'm going to follow, follow you for, uh, you know, probably a mile or two. And if I have a camera, I'm probably going to record that. 
I'm going to start recording. Hit record. I'm going to be recording your, your erratic driving. At some point, I'm going to say, this doesn't make any sense. Now I've stepped into reasonable suspicion. Right. And reasonable suspicion allows me to stop your car. So now I stop you. I'm detaining you. Now you can say, I don't consent to this. And I can say, tough luck, bud. You're being detained. We're past that point Yes, now. we're past that point. And so what would happen from there is I would approach your car and you would roll down your window, which would, you know, yeah. be typical. Half an inch. Half an inch, ha- folks. I would roll it down half an inch. Half an inch is all you'd give me, huh? <laughs> well, you'd, you'd be That's amazed. not true. I'm you'd making be, that up. You'd be amazed what I can smell off a half an inch of a rolled down <laughs> well, window. Let me assure the listener, you will not be smelling anything out of my car. <laughs> I want to be very clear that I'm only opening it half an inch for legitimate reasons. That's right. So, okay, let's say that the window rolls all the way down. and. Um, yeah. I'm looking, I'm thinking, the first thing I'm thinking in my mind, uh, now it's changing a little bit because of phones, but the first thing I'm thinking in my mind is this guy's drunk. Right. I, I, you roll down the window and I smell no alcohol. I'm thinking, what in the world? But I'm going to say, you know what, I, I, I can't discount the fact that you were driving erratically. Right. So I'm going to say, sir, you know, I, I, I noticed that you were driving a little bit erratically. I, I want to make sure that you're all right. Are you, are you tired? No, no, I'm not tired. And, and, and so I'm going to say, can you step out? And, and I'm watching you the whole time. I'm going to see if you stumble. I'm going to see what, what, what you're trying to, to, to do as, as far as walking is concerned, how you're talking. Then I'm probably going to say, listen, I'm going to put you through, through a few tests. I don't want you to drive out there and, and hurt somebody. So let me right. put you through a few quick tests. As soon as you pass these tests, then I'll let you go. So I'm walking the line, touching my nose. You're going to walk the line. You're going to touch your nose. You're going to do all, all kinds I mean, of I've heard. Wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know yeah, this no, I just want to be absolutely <laughs> that, clear. I've heard that that's, right. that's what happens. So let's say we get through all those, and uh, you're, you passed. Yes. I'm, I'm sober. What in the world? There's got to be something else then. Before, we would probably let you, let you ride. You know? yeah. Now we're thinking there is something else. And that something else is probably you messing with your phone. So one of the things that I saw as I came to your car is that your phone was on. It was open. It's an iPhone. I have an iPhone. It's right on the texting messages. And I've got this sneaky suspicion that, dude, you were texting. Right. And so now I put you through the, uh, through the field sobriety test. You've passed the field sobriety test. What's left? You're texting, Probably my man. cell phone. You're texting. Yeah. And in Vermont, 24% of the accidents came from phone use. Right. 50 individuals died. So what am I supposed to do now? Do right. I just say, hey, bud, have a good day. You weren't drunk. Have a good one. You know, keep on texting and run somebody over and, and kill them and their children. But here's, here's where the problem emerges. And I know we're coming up against a break here again fairly soon, Alex. But the problem emerges that, all right, you know, maybe you need to see whether or not I was texting. But what if my letters to my wife are in there? Or... Or, for that matter, anything else that I don't think is your business, once you're in that phone, everything, my whole life is in there. My credit cards are in there. Everything, my whole life is in there. How much of that should you be able to look at under the Fourth Amendment? Right, and that's the big question. And and Lalonde, who was suggesting this law, what he says is essentially what we're asking for is a show-me-your-text log. We're not asking to see the whole thing. We just want to see your text log. And then he goes as far as to say, it says this, personally, if I'm in a car and I've been text messaging, I should expect narrow 
privacy. Right. And that, that's the issue. And I do understand that. I absolutely understand that. What bothers me is that the moment we erode that, what if the day comes? And if I read Revelation 13 correctly, we are up against a break, but if I read Revelation 13 correctly, the day is coming where my faith is going to be a crime. And let's say I was texting my pastor, but I guess the argument would be you shouldn't have been doing that. You shouldn't have been texting your pastor. But I'm texting my pastor about our secret church meeting. Bang, there it is. Now, I realize that's a horrible argument, Alex. I absolutely do, because I shouldn't have been texting at all, and that should not be how the Christian is communicating with his pastor. But there is coming a moment. If we erode that right, it, I got nothing to worry about today. But what about the day when maybe I do? And there's enough ex, There's enough that went on in the 20th century to convince me it can happen. It happened all over the world. We are up against a break. I'm with Alex Rodriguez. We're going to come and bring it full circle in just a moment after this message. The Fourth Amendment, your right to privacy, and Bible prophecy, and God's law. We'll be right back after this. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. back from the break. My name is Sean Boonstra, the host of Voice of Prophecy's Disclosure. I'm with Alex Rodriguez, and Alex, we are in the home stretch in today's program. We were talking about uh, pulling cars over and searching cell phones and, uh, and all of those kinds of things, and the Fourth Amendment and so on, and I want you now to take me over home plate in the minutes that we have left today, because there's a lot to talk about, and I want you to sort of wrap up what you were discussing and then take me into the Bible before we're done. This conversation really is not about cell phones, Sean. It, it ultimately comes back to the Fourth Amendment, the the erosion of our of our our rights, and how much we're willing to release to uh, to society in order for for us to be to be safe. Right, and and pointing out that it's not an easy decision. I'm very interested in helping police do their job, but at the same time, I want to keep my eye on the ball and watch that we don't erode liberty to a point where basic liberty disappears. Let's get into the Bible in just a moment, but before we, we do that, I want to just lay one more one more little foundation on uh, on what's going on, what's been happening in the law, and what, what happened from the beginning in the framing of the Constitution. We have this letter of the law concept where, where it's written in there, the Fourth Amendment. We've gone through that a couple of times already in this program. But what we haven't discussed is the fact that because it's so short, and even if it was longer, there is this this understanding of interpretive law, if you will. Uh, we call it precedent that right. uh, that we deal with in, in the legal system. Or, or another way to call it is, is case law. 
what is the power of case law when it comes to deciding a, a, a case and what's going to happen in the future? Right. And it's it's huge. It's huge. In fact, I was just reading an article by Gary Lawson uh, entitled The Cost- Constitutional Case Against Precedent. And here's what he says. Legal analysis by lawyers, courts, and academics typically begins and ends with precedent. He continues, court opinions, including Supreme Court opinions on constitutional matters, frequently consist entirely of discussions of past decisions without so much as a reference to the Constitution itself. Right. And so in a way, case law and precedent has become the guiding influence of what it is that we decide and don't decide. And so it's sort of moved into first place almost ahead of the Constitution in the way that we operate civil society. Absolutely. And this is his argument and several other arguments uh, or other people that are arguing about this fact that although you have the written text, it almost means nothing after a while. Right. And I remember running into this in, in law enforcement. You have what is written, but then you have how it's been interpreted and what's been interpreted seems to have more weight in the decision than so the there, law itself. there would almost be a case for what would amount to zero-based budgeting. In every case, go back to the original law before you examine, you know, that ought to be primary. That's right. And and his argument is, let's not throw away the case law. It's important, but let's put it in its proper place. One more statement that he made is, the authority of uh, of precedent is a postulate of our legal system. It is uncontroversial. It is warm and fussy, fuzzy. And in some of its most familiar applications, it is unconstitutional. Right, which is an, an interesting argument, and you'll have to read the rest. Well, two hundred fifty years later, we've wandered so far from the original text, and what happened last year is so much closer. That's right, yeah. and and here's here's the thing. I think ultimately, when the framers framed the Constitution, I know we live in a society now that is saying that we're not a Christian nation. Right, but when the framers framed the Constitution, there was a driving influence of the Word of God. No question about it. I did a program on that a while ago, Alex, and, and that's available on the website, too. The fact is the Protestant Reformation and the thoughts that came out of that led to the drafting of the Constitution. At least a lot of the principles showed up there. So when you think about precedent, when you think about decisions that are made in the courtroom, the underlying pillar of the laws that were put in place was the moral law of God. So now, you, although you have this, uh, this way around it, although you have exigent circumstances, although you have exceptions, although you have uh, this, this constant, uh, this, uh, this instant of unreasonable searches that it's even written right there in the Fourth Amendment, although you have these things, it still has under it, pinning it, the Bible. Right. But now, as we take that Bible away... And it's no longer the underpinning of the decisions that we're making in the in the courtrooms. What then establishes the the foundation of of what we decide? So back then, although the system was a little bit broken from the perspective of there was a way around it. I mean, if you think about the Constitution itself, the amendments, you can change an amendment. Yes, you can. Now, it's tough. It's tough. It's probably one of the hardest things to do. But as long as you get two thirds. Of, uh, of the legislature to agree to this thing. Right. And then you turn around and you get three-fourths of the states to agree this thing. All of a sudden, you change the legislature. Yeah. Or, or you, you change, the, change the amendments. Now, I want to be clear. We're not talking about establishing a theocracy. That's not what we're talking about. But the, 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 the principles that built America were clearly out of the Judeo-Christian tradition and clearly built on the ideas of human government that the 
drafters found and others found in documents like the Bible in particular. There's no question it's founded on Christian ideals and Christian uh, morality. Right. And that's the that's the key. So the Bible and Christian morality gave it its checks and balances. Yes, it did. And you now, found that you found that in the Old Testament. There were checks and balances on every human form of government. Correct. Now we're looking at uh, where we're at, and we have to ask, ask the question, what is giving our decisions in the courtroom the checks and balances? What is it that's, that's now checking this thing? And unfortunately, really, it's, it's society. It's, it's where society has gone. Right. So what is the, the societal norm now? What is accepted in society? And that drives our case law, and our case law drives what we decide that that law means. And so therefore, although the Fourth Amendment says that you need a search warrant, basically, now we've opened up Pandora's box so that I could see there being a day where your cell phone, I'll walk up to your car and say, hey, bro, hand me your cell phone. Yeah. And and because of that's the way the society has done it, all of a sudden it's it's the way we do things now on. It's not right, right, but it's the slippery slope that we're going on. And and to be to be clear again for everybody who's listening, look, if you've committed a crime, my belief is you deserve to get caught. I'm looking forward to the day where uh, of thought crimes because other societies have gone that far. The Soviet Union went there, other regimes went there, and th- thought crimes can never be a crime. It's written into the Constitution, but. Let's say that day comes and we build everything on case law, like you said, and we've eroded liberty. Now we have a problem. That's right. That's right. So the Constitution and, and, and constitutional law or, or any law, really, the way that we run the legal system, you know, it, it can be changed. It's interpreted by man. It's, it's supported now by societal norms. But let's look at Scripture. Let's look at God's law. How is, is God's law, uh, how does that work in comparison to the way that we do law here here in America and throughout the world? Well, one thing that stands out to me is that it's irrevocable. It's immutable. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. So here you have a law that it doesn't matter if two-thirds of us decide, hey, you know, I don't like that. Right. Or, or you know, three-fourths of the states decide, hey, we want something different. You have a law that stands the test of time. It's, yes, it's going nowhere. Uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 5, verses eight, eight, verse 18 says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means will pass from the law till all is fulfilled. I mean, this thing's not going anywhere. No, and it makes sense because it really is a picture of who God is. When God is saying, do not steal, he's saying, I'm honest and I'd like you to be honest. When he's saying, do not kill, I value life. So I want you to... It's a picture of who God is and because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that law never changes. That's right. We're, we're, we're serving the unchanging God and because God is unchanging, his law is unchanging. We'll talk a little bit about the character of God in, in, in just a moment. But absolutely correct. And of course, you know, you being, uh, being in the Bible for many years, you of course know what's in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19 at the end. What, right. are, we, what are we told about the, the book itself? Can't be changed. Do it, not it, add, do not subtract. And, and and it's it's not just a, a command of, hey, don't do this. It actually attaches teeth to this thing. So if you do change it, if you decide off the off the top of your head, hey, you know, I don't like this thing. I'm going to change it. Then God says, listen, I'm, I'm going to judge that. I, I'm going to I'm going to judge you based on that. This law I wrote, it's unchangeable. It's immutable. I'm not going to change it. You're not going to change it. Whether you like it or not, it's the way it is. Right, right. The other difference that we see here looking at God's law is that God amplifies the law and scripturally interprets it. Oh, so he's the judge at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So He's the legislator and the judge. It, it's the, it's the, which is a beautiful picture, you know, if you think about salvation itself, where 
he Jesus is our lawyer. Jesus is is the judge. I mean, yeah, how can you lose? How can you lose? You know, the Christian has has nothing to fear. Go to go to the to, 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 to I would love to walk into a courtroom like that. Yeah. You know, if if I was the one that was being judges got your being back accused. But uh, God amplifies and God scripturally interprets it. The late uh, Herbert Douglas uh, in one of his books, he wrote this uh, this statement here that really, really calls out to me. He says, When Adam and Eve sinned, the law was not changed, but a remedial system was established to bring humanity back to obedience. After he wrote the Ten Commandments in stone, God commanded Moses to write additional judgments and laws outlining detailed instructions for these former slaves who had shown themselves to be so easily led astray. Now catch this. These directions were the principles of the Ten Commandments amplified and given in a specific manner so no one need err. So God himself amplifies and gives us exactly what we need to know about and how to interpret this law. So he doesn't just give the law. He says, here's the law, and here's how you live it. Here's the law. Here's how, how you live it. I'm not going to give it to man to decide exactly what I meant with this. I'm, ju- I'm just going to spell it out to you. And, and right. you see all these, all these things that he gives to, to Moses. And, of course, again, one uh, a little bit here, a little bit there. Isaiah 28:10 says, for precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line, line upon, upon line. line. Right. So, you know, how do we study the Bible? How do we come to, to a conclusion about what is meant in Scripture? Well, I, I've often looked at that passage, line upon line, precept upon precept, and I've told people, essentially, you have to read the whole thing. You, you can't take bits of it. The whole Bible matters, and this is where God expounds in the fullest sense what he meant. That's right. It, it, how, how do I interpret? What's my hermeneutical principle? Hermeneutics is how you interpret the Scripture. How, how do I interpret the Scripture? How do I decide to do that? Is it safe, Sean, for me to say, you know what, I'm going to take Scripture and I'm going to give it to, let's say, the legal system. I'm going to give it to, to the courtroom to tell me exactly what it meant. Is that safe? No. Not in today's society. No, it's not. We're, we're, we're sinful human beings. Nothing is, is, can interpret Scripture except Scripture. Right. This is the only thing that is that is not fallen, that is not sinful. This is what what God uh, has given us to know exactly what to do in the future. So we call this in theological circles divine revelation. So God has given us divine revelation, and Scripture happens to be the only divine revelation we have, and therefore we use it to interpret itself. We don't really have that kind of system in the legal system. No, but what what is interesting to me, and it's just by way of comparison, is we came out of the Reformation, you had Martin Luther saying, you know what, clergy aren't my ruler. The, the document is. He went to the Bible. And that's really where Protestant principles started to show up in the drafting of the American Constitution. They said, a king is not our authority. This document will be. But that's still a human document. That's right. And if you go back to to individuals like uh, like the one I quoted a minute ago, uh, looking at the Constitution, he's saying he's saying case law cannot dictate what we decide. We have a document we need to go back to. Right. And in the same way in Scripture, we have a document we need to go back to. And the in the last difference here, in just the last few seconds we have, is that in, instead of being su- supported by social norms, this, uh, this law of God is supported by God's character. Yes, it this is. This is God's character. It's who he is, and based upon who he is, it doesn't change it. It will never lead us astray, and uh, that's a big difference between that and, and the regular law here in society. 
Alex Rodriguez, I uh, I must say that if I were to be pulled over by a cop again, I would hope it would be you because you do respect my freedom. I want to thank you for joining us on the show. We are out of time. Don't forget, you can get the whole program and some of the show notes at voiceofprophecy.com. But we are out of time for this week's program. You are listening to Disclosure, one of the new programs from the good people at the Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra. Until we meet again.